Beetlejuice! Beetlejuice! It's showtime! Hey guys, welcome to episode 2 of Beetlecast. Today we are joined by Eddie Perfect, the songwriter for Beetlejuice, and I was lucky enough to get to interview him and stuff. So, yeah, I'm gonna go and put the uh, sound from the interview in here and have fun listening to it. He's a pretty cool guy. Yes. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. All right. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm great. How are you? Thank you so much for uh, coming on here. No worries, man. Well, tell me about this podcast. What's the deal? Uh, it's just something I started. Uh, I got really into Beetlejuice uh, last year, and yeah. I just really liked it. And after I saw it for the first time, I was like ecstatic about it i just wanted to do something about it so i kind of just wanted to make a podcast because that's so cool yeah it is and then i saw it the second time and then i that was awesome and I, that really what got the ball rolling on it and so here i am and then i'm really sad that it's uh, off winter garden now it's crazy. It crazy everything has been so extraordinarily weird with this show but um i don't know i mean it's, it's like you know, everybody's very keen to do it, whether that, whether we find another place in New York or whether it goes to other cities or it goes on tour. Or, I mean, I'm pretty confident it's going to have a life. We just got to get theatre back on. You know, that's the weird yeah. thing about the times we're living in. It's yeah, one, the one thing I noticed on all the like the posts and stuff about it was everyone. No one said it was like the end of Beetlejuice. It was always like the end of it at Winter Garden and stuff. Like, yeah, that was one thing I noticed that was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like, you know, we've been um, obviously, you know, they announced a, a, a long time ago there was an intention to do the American tour. So that's always been in the pipeline. And then, you know, of course, everyone wants, you know, people want to take it to other places. So there's been talk about doing it in Australia and talk about doing it in London and the West End. And um, so those things will happen. But still, I, you know, like, um, We've been, you know, nearly dead so many times in New York on Broadway. Um, it'd be great to just keep it running on Broadway. You know, like we, you know, we kind of came came from having a show that was like started very shakily. You know, like we're like kind of in a shaky place financially, and no one really knew the show. Um, no one had really much high expectations for it, and then. Um, a combination of like the Tony Awards and um, that performance and the and the cast album turned the whole show around, and we were like, okay, here we go. You know, we're going to be able to run for a bit, and then you know, bang, Music Man. So Jesus, you know, oh yeah, can't catch a break on bloody Broadway. So <laughs> maybe it's symbolic, but you know, we'd like to be back on Broadway. You know, audiences were just really digging it, and it just felt like it was a that you know even before the kind of coronavirus that. You know, Americans have a nice, healthy, sick, black sense of humor. And yeah. I think that's going to be even more so once we come back. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, yeah. Uh, so, like, for the things like the um, the Tony, like, performance and stuff with the whole being that thing, like, par- parody, do you, uh, do you have, like, a hand in writing those, like, kind of, like, parodies, kind of? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we had, it's the weird thing when you're writing a musical, you know, you sort of... Um, and we spent, well, I spent, you know, four years developing it and then, you know, you're getting ready to perform it. 
And then all of a sudden you have to think about how you, how you promote it and sell it. And yeah. you know, that's like, what, what songs are you going to take out of context? What songs will work out of context that you can perform on other shows? And I think the first opportunity that came our way was the Today Show. They had this thing called Broadway Week where a whole bunch of musicals in that season perform in Rockefeller Plaza outside and it's cold and it's weird and everyone's oh, yeah. like costumes and makeup on, but you're not really on, not really on a stage and it's super creepy and we're like, how are we going to do, how are we going to do this? <laughs> so, you know, I pitched the idea of rewriting the whole being dead thing. I was like, why don't we just, you know, make it about being on the Today Show. And because that was successful, um, when it came time to do Tony Awards, you know, I had to walk into this meeting where, um, you know, there was the longest table you've ever seen. And on one side of the table, there's about 20 people who are all like various producers, music supervisors, directors of the Tony Awards. And then on the other side was us, our creative team. And they're like, what do you want to do? And we were like, we want to, um, want to rewrite our opening number to be about the Tonys. And they were like, okay, okay. Um, and so I had to basically go away and write a whole new lyric. Um, they wouldn't, you know, I wanted to know who, you know, what fancy famous people were going to be in the audience and they kind of couldn't really let me know. So that was tricky to write jokes around that, but I knew yeah. that the driver had been nominated for Tony. So I was yeah. like, he's going to be somewhere near the front. That'll be good. But I didn't know, you know, who else. And then, um, uh, so... I just kind of wrote it and I had to send it to the Tony Awards people. And then they had a whole bunch of notes and then we came back and it was crazy because we were, we were building that performance at the same time as we were doing the cast album. And so one, we are mixing the cast album by then. So for one morning, I just sort of sat in the recording studio with, our, with um, Matt Stein, who's our music producer on Beetlejuice. And we just cut down the Tony Awards performance track to exactly... I mean, it was like, it had to be exactly three three minutes and 12 seconds, something no more. So um, you know, you're furiously, furiously editing to make sure you get in all the mo musical moments you want to get in and that it works and doesn't feel jagged yeah. and weird. So um, yeah, so that was a big, that was a big turning point for the show. Um, and, and I was really, I was really happy to have the opportunity to do that, but my God, it was so scary because the night of the Tonys, you know, normally you get a chance to test your jokes and your lyrics on an audience before you do them. Yeah. Like, here we go. We're about to do a whole rewritten version of the opening number, not just in front of like a full Radio City musical, but everybody watching at home and online forever. And you, you get one shot. Um, so I was terrified. I was like, this is just too, this is too much. But thankfully that went very well for us. Oh yeah. I, I still watch that uh, Tony Awards performance like all the time. It's, it's so oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Cause that night was a weird night. You know, there was like, um, it was right at the start. We just opened two days, like, you know, kind of a week earlier. Um, and you know, there wasn't a huge amount of love around for Beetlejuice at that point. You know, we, we were like, you know, we weren't doing very well. The album wasn't out. No one really knew what the show was. And um, on the night in, in Radio City Music Hall, on the night of the Tonys, you could just tell where all of the kind of excitement and the energy and the love was in the room. And it was, it was not 
for Beetlejuice, you know, when they're announcing nominees and they'll be like, you know, um, you know, best uh, supporting actress in Tootsie. And everyone's like, yeah, Tootsie. And they were like, had pockets of the audience that were really loving certain shows. You know, it's like, 80s down. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this whole section like, yeah, 80s down. And then it would be like Beetlejuice and they'd be like, like two people oh. slow clapping. And my wife and I were like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> but, you know, we, even the prom, even the prom got more love in the room. Not oh, even yeah. the prom's a great show, but I mean, the you know the prom got a lot of love in the room. Beetlejuice was not getting any love at that point, and it's really easy to forget that because um, you know like uh, it it turned around. But that was that was like kind of the beginning of Beetlejuice clawing its way out of like a financial grave, and. Yeah. You know, we went from kind of zero to hero, you know, um, uh, which was, yeah, which was like you know, no mean feat. And I think it was, I think it was because we kind of, you know, really rolled the dice on the Tony Awards. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, wait, so you were working on it for four years before, like, it actually, like, uh, was yeah. on stage? Yeah. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah, it is a long time. What was like the first song you wrote? First song I wrote was um, "Dead Mom." Dead Mom. Because I, I didn't have the job yet. You know, like um, I was like kind of auditioning for the job as a writer, and yeah. I'd kind of um, had to sort of, um, you know, lie and cheat and steal my way into the audition process because they didn't know who I was because I. You know, I'm Australian, and um, and I was like asking to pitch on this big Broadway show, um, and they were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" So um, I managed to talk my way into being able to kind of write a couple of songs as part of a, an audition process. Oh, yeah. And I wrote "Dead Mom," and I wrote the whole "Being Dead" thing. They were the two. two the whole "Being Dead" thing was was a little bit different, not musically, but lyrically. It was for. A, the whole being dead thing was originally first heard where the whole being dead thing part two happened. So okay. it was never intended to be like an opening number. It became an opening number, but um, yeah, originally it was um, it was the first time you saw Beetlejuice, and it was after the maintenance had died. He was like, he popped up, and he's like, "Hey, work with me." That was what the whole being dead thing was about. So yeah, yeah. that were the two, two songs I wrote um, first and sent them off, and. That's what got me the job and that kind of like, they were, especially the whole Being Dead thing was a pretty crazy song. Yeah, was, I, th- I thought it was a like pretty bold song because uh, I like watched the movie and stuff and I thought like Beetlejuice had such a bigger role in the play than he did in the movie. Yeah. And so like, I, I liked that a lot. So I was like, especially with the whole Being Dead thing being right at the front, I, I liked that. Like it established him like really quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the things that the, you know, I... I don't think we were all the writers and everyone. I don't think we were all that keen on having Beetlejuice right at the right at the top. I think we wanted it to be like a little more similar to the movie where you know you hold off and then he and then he appears. Yeah. But the producers were like, um, you know, but it's you know it's Beetlejuice's musical and it's Beetlejuice's name on the marquee and Beetlejuice has got to open the show and it's got to be Beetlejuice. And um, you know, I get that, and you see that in other mu- musicals, like you see that in. Um, like the genie doesn't turn up for a little bit in Aladdin, the movie, the animated movie. 
But in the musical, you know, they're like, um, we're going to put the genie on stage and he's going to sing um, Arabian Nights, the opening. Similar with um, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's Willy Wonka on stage at the beginning, even though he doesn't really enter into the show until the end of Act One. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know, on the surface it seems a little bit like obvious and plain, but it's also like, I, I guess if you can make it work, it's good. We, we struggled with what the first thing Beetlejuice would say would be for four years. What's the first thing he said? He used to say horrible things. He, used to, he had a whole bunch of jokes. They kept writing more jokes and they didn't work. <laughs> it was, you know, like there was some, there was, yeah, it was, he just had these so many crass jokes and all of them died of death. Um, oh. And it wasn't until, <laughs> It wasn't until Broadway where we came, where the, where Anthony and Scott came up with the, you know, because that song was written out of it, just, just the whole being dead thing, or Welcome to a Show About Death, written out of desperation just to go, this is what the song is about. You know, yeah. we did that, there's that classic story about um, Fiddler on the Roof and Jerome Robbins saying, what is this musical about? That's how we're <laughs> going to get our own number. And someone said tradition, and they were like, that's it, right tradition. So we were like, what is this show? And we were like, well, you know, it's sort of a show about death. And we're like, that's it. I'm going to put that in the song. <laughs> a show about death. And then, you know, the idea of Beetlejuice going, you know, um, it's such a bold departure from the original source material. You know, it was, we were like, is that the worst? Is that the worst thing you could say here? That feels so on the nose. But Im immediately what it kind of did was it was like, Beetlejuice is saying, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be talking to you. I'm gonna not just be in a play, I'm gonna be breaking the fourth wall and yeah. I'm gonna be talking to you. And guess what? This isn't going to be like um, the movie, uh, but it's still going to be funny. So maybe put your ideas about how this is gonna to go to one side and just check out what it is, you know. Uh, and that yeah, really kind of, worked, kind of worked for us. Yeah. Like the um, before I saw it for the first time, I watched the Beetlejuice movie with my girlfriend, and uh, that was like the first time seeing the movie and all that. And so I felt the play was gonna be exactly like that. And then I go in and I'm like, this is so different. And it was it was it was awesome. <laughs> I like yeah. it was two completely separate things, but they were both equally as good. Because the movie is so um, strange, you know, just kind of it, it sort of um, bounces strange, from one amazing, strange and unusual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and doesn't really have a huge amount of plot. Like if you try and explain what Beetlejuice is about, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, it's like it's about a demon and a couple who die and a couple who move in and wanting their house back. And, and it's, but it's hard to kind of get a handle on the story. That's yeah. what Scott and Anthony did so well is that they, um, you know, before I came along, they spent three years developing the script to a place where, you know, Warner Brothers theatricals and our director Alex Timbers were really happy with the story that was being told, which is Lydia's story, Lydia's emotional story. But we went yeah. through a lot of different permutations where, you know, um, originally, you know, it was Barbara that went to the netherworld with Lydia and um, Lydia reunited with her mother in one of the earlier drafts in the netherworld and that, and that completely changed. Yeah, um, yeah all, a lot of the characters that have changed in their... You know, um, along the way, some some of the characters were really um, kind of broadly comic or um, or cruel. Like Charles, the father, was quite 
quite the prick in the quite kind of Trump esque oh, yeah. in the yeah. original ones, and that changed a lot. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, the, before I got there, three and a half years of writing, and then after I got there, four four and a half. So it was a little long time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I just had a question. I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so like, gonna, did it, okay, you go. Did did it ever like hurt when uh like a song was cut from the show or anything? Like, yeah, I mean, you, you're all, generally you're part of that conversation. Um, yeah, I've worked on shows where I haven't been part of that conversation, and that's that hurts. Um, yeah. But that's that's a different story. But um, yeah, you generally as the writer, the composer, and the lyricist, you know, you're part of the writing team. If somebody wants to cut something, and that's a totally reasonable thing to do, yeah. Um, Generally, they'll sort of suggest stuff, and you would hope that you all were looking at the same thing and seeing that it wasn't working. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that. You know, sometimes you can sometimes you can fight it if you don't think it's right, um, or sometimes you know, I had I had things that I wanted to cut, and then the writers wouldn't let me. So oh really? <laughs> I was like, man. I was like so sick of Say My Name. I was like, this song, it's just like, it just goes from one bit to another bit and I don't know how to end it. And it doesn't feel like the song, that's that song, there are like 50 drafts of that song. You know, there was a point at which they, that Beetlejuice and Lydia had a rap battle. <laughs> um, it was, it was kind of never ending and crazy. It ended up being one of the most popular songs though. <laughs> that's the thing. I, that really blows my mind. I would never have picked that. Um, never be that in a million years, but um, you know, it, it has Beetlejuice and Lydia, you know, butting heads and trying to it's a battle of wits, and I think people yeah. really like that, yeah. that dynamic. I did have an, I had another song for that moment, which was a big kind of a swing duet, uh, kind of like um, a bit like Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra singing Me and My Shadow. It was called You Can Only Work What You Get. And I really liked that song, but it didn't kind of work in the context of just being able to like outplay each other. Yeah. So um, actually, I think that became that beautiful sound. But um, yeah. So that one was a, that one was a weird one. And then there are other songs that got cut. Like I wrote a song called um, you know, "Ain't It Strange When an Asshole Saves the Day," that I thought would be a good closing number. Um. And the right Anthony King, one of the book writers, was like, "Is that really the message of our show that we're all assholes?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> <It's a> suggestion." <laughs> he was like, "No, I don't think that's what we're saying." I'm like, "Okay, agree to disagree." So, um, you know, that's just part of it, you know, the argy bargy. But hopefully, everyone you work with, you trust, and you respect their opinion enough that. Um, you know, when you talk about cutting something, you're like, okay. If everyone hates it and you think it's great, I think you're probably, and you're working with people that are smart, um, you probably need to let it go. Yeah, yeah. So, like, also, like, in the, um, in the song, beginning with Adam and Barbara, uh, the Ready, Set, Let's Go, or Ready, Set, uh, I kind of forget the name at the time right now. But Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they die at the end, was that like, did you, since you were like a songwriter, did you kind of get to choose how they died or was that like out of your hands a little bit? 
Um, no, that, I knew they were going to go through the floor. That's basically yeah. that was sort of that was sort of mandated. And you know, there are, there are there was a version of that song where it was going to be like, um, do you remember that movie uh, Hot Tub Time Machine? Did you ever see that? Oh yeah, yeah. And they go back in time, and there's that guy that in the future has no arm, but when they go back in time, he, he has his arm. And they keep seeing them, thinking they're going to see the moment where he loses that arm and then his yeah. arm is fine. I love that. Well, like maybe there's a way of like having Adam and Barbara um, just constantly look like they're about to die and they don't die. So there's a whole heaps of things that happen. You're like, oh, and that's not the moment. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of a little hard to tell the story and to um, kind of organise. So we just teased the floor the whole way, you know, look, look at this floor, yeah. it's going to the floor. Because in the movie, they, they're in the car and they go through the bridge, I think, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But you can't do that on stage. It's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cars on stage are hard to do. <laughs> this is my wife and child sneak creeping in the background. Oh, of course. I like all the drawings you have back there. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, we've been creative in lockdown. Oh, of course. Yeah. So also in the same song with Adam and Barbara there in the beginning, uh, I, I, I know originally it was supposed to be like a miscarriage, I think. That was the original song. Yeah. Uh, what made you like change to like what, what it is now? Um, Americans didn't find... Miscarriage is as funny as I thought they were going <laughs> to. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a very black way of looking at it, but that is kind of essentially true. Like, um, um, it it was just it was a bummer. That was that's all I can say is that it, yeah. just, it was more of a bummer than I was expecting. People got really just got sad about it, and I was like, well, yeah. that's not good, you know. And once people get sad about something it's hard hard to make them laugh at other things because they're just a, it's just turn the the you know the happy meter down and that's not what you want to do so um even though it gave the maitlands really strong motivation for um uh you know wanting to do better in death than they did in life uh, yeah. and wanting to kind of be a parent figure to lydia because they weren't able in life to have their own child it was also like um, it was like just kind of a gong we kept ringing and every time we came back to it, people would be like, oh yeah, that's right. Here are these sad old Maitlands that couldn't have kids. And then it was weird. Like um, I often talk about like writing a play or writing a musical and developing it. You know, when, you, when you're like, why didn't we have this idea at the start? Um, it's almost like, a you know, do you, do you play video games much? Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to like on one particular level, you have to get all the information and all the things and all the items and all the, you have to complete that level yeah. before the door opens and it lets you go to the next place with a whole lot of things. And it's like, well, you know, you can't just like get the bazooka at the end and go, oh man, why didn't I just have this bazooka on level one? It's yeah. almost like writing a musical is very similar, is that you have to, you have to be here um, before you can all before a door opens and you walk through it, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. So, for example, um, the idea of like, well, why wouldn't the Maitlands just be a couple who, um, like most couples, 
are kind of a little scared about getting started on having a family uh, and they find every excuse not to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then they die and they never get to do it. Isn't that like A, less of a bummer and B, more relatable? And we're like, yeah, why didn't we think about that at the start? It's so weird. It's like you have to complete the lower levels before you can go up to that, which is probably why musicals take so long to develop. Because a lot of the time, you, you know, you're standing there with your collaborators in a room and you're like, oh, yeah, why don't we just do this? And it seems so obvious. But for some reason, you for three years, you weren't allowed to see it. I, don't, I find that staggeringly bizarre. I mean, yes, you can skip some levels if you're, if you're smart or whatever, but like, I genuinely think there are connections and ideas that don't present themselves to you until you've just spent a huge amount of time hanging out together on one level. It's very yeah. weird. So uh, during the writing process, when you were, uh, had to like incorporate the, like, the Deo song and like the um, Shake Sonora song into it, was that hard to do? Or... What was that, sorry? Uh, when you uh, did the songs that incorporated the Deo song and like the jump in the line, uh, when you were doing those, was it hard to incorporate those songs that were already like made into the show? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I kind of hated those songs. I was just <laughs> like, you know, that would you get to that point in the rehearsal and we're gonna work on Deo and I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm out. I mean, it's not my song, so I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know what to do. I can't change it. I can't change anyone's song. So I just kind of like hid from them. Ran away, kind of ran away from them. Yeah. I mean, I totally understood why they had to be in the in the show. But um, uh, when you're writing like a whole new score, the scary thing is that, you know, you basically got like one evening, which is what, two and a half hours with a 20 minute interval. Yeah. Try and get an audience who have never heard a note of what you've written to not only kind of like listen to it all, but to kind of like it, hopefully recall some of it um, and enjoy it. Um, and it's a big ask because it's like, you know, it's whole new, whole new, everything's unfamiliar, everything's new to your ears, brand new information. Yeah. And then to plonk a song that's already 50, you know, like 50 years old, um, in, you know, it was 30 years old in the movie um, already, but like, I think, you know, it was like a 55 year old song. Everyone's been hearing Banana Boat and Jumping the Line for that long. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, I know this song. I love this song. This is, this is uh, Shake Sonora. This is great. And um, that's really hard because suddenly, in a night of unfamiliar music, there's this island that everyone leaps onto, which is the island of, you know, familiarity and recall yeah, so that's yeah. always scary combining original songs with new songs because you're always at, at a disadvantage um, and people tend to come out going well you know like they did in DC they came out going well we liked um, well, we liked Banana they actually created a, a graph so um, in the out of town trials you get a lot of data back you know uh, yeah. interviews with audience members one of the things they do is I think someone with a clipboard goes up to people and it's like, you know, we're going to go through all the songs of the show, which ones you're going to order them and which ones you liked most to least. But what it yeah. generally ends up being is like a memory exercise. What, you know, like what song do you remember um, most and to least? And 
So out of those graphs, it was always like, you know, Banana Boat song number one, Shanks and Nora number two, and then it was like Daylight, and then it was the original song. Yeah. And, and so you get this, you get this graph which has got two massive colourful sticks for you know the two pre-existing songs and then it like drops down to you know the original stuff that's like tiny and sort of peters out along a on a, on a y-axis and I was like there you go there's a graph representation about what people think of your songs you know that's really depressing and hard so um, yeah. you know to answer your question I kind of like ignored those two songs for a really long time but when we got, we always knew that Shakespeare Nora was going to be the closing number. And when we did it in Washington, D.C., it just didn't land the, the story the way we wanted it to land. We wanted to say um, Lydia's lost her mum. That's always going to be um, something she has to deal with and it's going to be a source of pain. But she's also found these people and she's reconnected with her father. Um, she's found these ghost couple who really love and care for her and want to protect her. Julia yeah. um, is kind of insufferable and crazy, but <laughs> at the heart of it, she's like a proper stepmom. She, she does care and she's interested. Maybe this is going, maybe this is what home is. You know, the thing that I've been looking for all show, maybe this is home. It just, in DC, without, without adding anything to the song, Jump in the Line, it just didn't land that way. Um, so yeah. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So I wrote the, you know, I, it, it was so weird. I wrote the um, reprise of um, Dead Mom and, you know, put it into, put it into um, Jump in the Line. Yeah. And, and then when it was, um, and when she had that final, when I wrote the final bit, Mama, I'm home. And I was like, oh, we can put Banana Bone in there. And, it, and we're talking, I've been writing this show for fucking four years. The idea that, the Banana Boat song talks about home had not occurred to me for four years. They like come and we want to go home. Even though like home was like a essential theme of our show. Yeah. I hadn't, hadn't really connected that. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is good. I can, you know, we can have Shake Sonora, which already, you know, which is the our closing number pre-written song. Plus, we can have this reprise of Dead Mom, which talks about home, like this is going to be weird and um, strange and unconventional, but uh, it's going to be something. And then having like the daylight come and want to go home just kind of was a, was a great way of tying everything together. But that was, um, that was the first time I leaned into one of the pre-written songs and was like, okay, I think I need to be a part of making this work. Yeah. I, I like the ending. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. Want to come say hi? Hi. <laughs> so do you have a, is that, is that, so how many kids do you have? I have two. Yeah. Two? That's, that's Charlotte. Charlotte is eight. Is that right? Okay. Eight. And Kitty, the other one is 10. Okay. Yeah. We're in Sydney now because, um, we were coming here for a job, an acting job that I was going to do that now, of course, doesn't exist, like every acting job on the planet. Yeah. It's, is it going to come back after the quarantine, though? Um, the, the, the acting job? Yeah. Doing? I mean, they say that it's, like, postponed. So, I mean, who, who knows? Uh, yeah. I like them. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to go on. So I've been trying not to think about the future too much because it's kind of unknowable and it just gets very stressful very quickly because you really yeah. can't plan anything. So I'm a little bit like, you know, we've got a... Where, whereabouts are you in the world? I'm in New Jersey, about an hour from New York City. Yeah, right. Wow. So, so we're you know, right in the bulk of it right now. <laughs> I know. When, I, when we got out of New York, it was getting kind of scary. And I mean, they just announced today that, um, you know, the, the, the start date for Broadway had been pushed back to June 7th, but I don't think anyone believes that. Yeah. It'll be much later in the year. In Australia, they're saying it's going to be six months of, you know, mm. social distancing at least to get past whatever's happening. So, yeah. But it's pretty extraordinary to be in a situation where, like, um, the industry, your, you know, your entire livelihood just shuts, just stops. And um, anything that you would do as like a, as a side hustle to like supplement that job, like hospital, working in hospitality, all that's gone as well. It's just, it's, yeah. just, it's all gone and there's no buffer. It's very, very weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my dad, he uh, works in New York City, but now, he, luckily, he's able to do everything from uh, home now. He's uh, oh, that's in good. the basement. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, don't go to New York. No, we, we were um, supposed to see, uh, my family hasn't seen Beetlejuice, so they think I'm a little crazy when I'm, like, obsessed with it. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, were, we were all supposed to see it the day after it closed for coronavirus. So oh, that, was, that was very disappointing. <laughs> But I've seen it two times. Yeah. I'm very happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's rough. I mean, that's the thing, you know. It's like, um, I mean, it's not like someone's not died. It's like a, it's a, a lot better than that. It's obviously when someone dies, it's a lot, it's a lot sadder. But also the principle of like you don't know when the last time you're seeing somebody is, you know. Yeah. So you really do have to. You know, you just squeeze the shit out of people every time you see them because you just don't know if it's the last time you're gonna see them. You know, yeah. I saw Beetlejuice like two days before the two or three days before the shutdown, and um, you know, I had no idea it was the last time I was watching it at the at the Winter Garden. You just don't know. So it's very bizarre. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, did you have any like? Uh kind of uh power in like the casting kind of for the show like uh because like since you wrote the songs and like trying to find like the right person to sing those uh yeah i mean when you're doing the when you're doing the workshops like the kind of development of it um they tend not to spend as much time and obviously it's costly too money on doing big uh casting calls yeah so generally um you know, you have a casting director and they, you talk about what the show is and what the, what the requirements of each role are. And then the casting director will come back and go, what about these five guys for Adam? Um, what about these five women for Barbara? Um, and everybody knows, you know, on Broadway kind of knows who those people are. And then everyone's like, yeah, I think, you know, let's go with blah, blah, blah. I was at a disadvantage because I didn't know who anyone was, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, I knew, um, you know, I listened to a lot of, like, 
past recordings, but I'm not like a search out, um, I'm not a search out people's, search out like uh, I'm, I don't go crazy about individual people, you know, like yeah. who is that person, I'm going to look that person up. I just listen to the album and so I had the joyous experience of like being in rooms and then hearing someone would start to sing and I'd be like, oh my God, I know your voice. I've heard your voice on this and this and this, you know. Yeah. Kerry Butler opened her voice to open her mouth to sing in the first workshop of Beetlejuice and I was like, no way. You were, you're, you were um, Shelly in Batboy. She's <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, that is crazy. So I didn't know her by um, name, but I knew her voice Im- immediately because I'd heard it so many times. And, um, yeah, that was... Um, yeah, that was crazy. So, yeah, so the answer to your question is, yes, I had a say, but but I didn't really know what the hell I was talking about. So I just kind of, yeah. until we got to the actual show and when you're sitting in, you have people come in and audition, it's a little different then. And because I was in Australia for that, they would just send me videos and I would watch like, you know, here are five people who are auditioning for Lydia. And, you know, I just sort of watched them on my phone or on my computer and, um, I would have a, an opinion from there. But I was always at a disadvantage because everybody is like, you know, what about George Shapiro? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know who that, I don't know who that is. Yeah. So I know Alex Brightman has that cool Beetlejuice voice thing he can do. Was yeah. that, did he, did he audition with that? Or did, was that something that happened during like the whole process after? No, he, no, we, he came on board in, in very early on in the workshops, maybe like the second workshop. Yeah. And um, he just developed that himself. When I when I re- wrote the songs and recorded the demos, you know, I, I kind of experimented with a raspy voice. And when he heard, when Brightman heard those demos, he was like, oh yeah, that sounds, that that's cool. I'm going to try and do a version of that. And he found a version of that. And then we, because we, he's like got a higher voice than mine. Yeah. We were like, should we put the the um, transpose the keys up of these songs so that they're more in a your kind of like Barry Tenor rock range? And he was like, no, because I got quite a low voice. Like, keep them down. That way, I can keep doing the voice, and I don't have to also sing super high. And I can do that eight shows a week. So um, he, yeah, if he has too much time off the show, his voice. Um, recovers and he can't and he, and he has to he kind of like to beat his voice into submission and when he gets yeah. in there it works but it is quite low for him to sing so he kind of has to find his tom waits range and um it's pretty extraordinary that he can do that eight, eight shows a week it's crazy yeah oh when you're writing the whole being dead thing and i know he like kind of like goes really high for some of the parts there kind of where he's like not beetlejuice he's kind of singing someone else like uh, we should have carpeted way more DM, like that kind of thing. Was that something like yeah. pl- was that something like you planned, or was that just like just happened like that? Yeah, too? yeah. And my original demos, I mean, it was some of it sung, but to be honest, a lot of it was sort of spoken. But those moments of him, you know, what what I always called like kind of multiple the multiple personalities of Beetlejuice. Yeah, um, uh, it was like a conversation with himself. So you know, in the lyrics, you know. Um, uh, death can have its ups and downs. We should have covered way more DMs. Now we're never going to see him. It's like he's impersonating other people who have died and are like, he's seen every reaction to death possible. So, you yeah. know, like, um, 
you know, um, uh, there were there were heaps of versions of that that got amended and changed. Just kind of like being average people, um, not dealing with death, you know. Um, yeah. So he always had to find a different kind of voice for all of those moments. Nice. Cool. Uh, so I just got to ask, what's like personally your favorite song <laughs> of the show? Oh, um, it kind of varies. I mean, there were songs that were like, I, um, when I wrote the whole being dead thing, I was really, I was really happy that it was done, not just because, um, you know, I had to send it off to the producers to sort of pitch on the job, but because it was so complicated and it had so many different moving parts and different musical styles in it. And yeah. it took so long to kind of like, it was like herding cats trying to get it to be one song that when that worked and when the, when I got the job, I was like, oh my God, I'm, that is a big, you know, getting Beetlejuice to sing was scary to me. I mean, getting yeah. Beetlejuice thing is the difference between Beetlejuice the musical being the best idea or the worst idea. Like if Beetlejuice is singing sweetly, like, uh, you know, you'd be like, oh my God, kill me, you know. <laughs> How do you get that right? And so when that felt right, then that was, I, was, I could build, you know, I could build the show around that. Yeah. So that was kind of like one of my favourites in terms of just how much heavy lifting it did for the score. Um, but then I had lots of fun doing it. I, like, I really had a great time writing, um, uh, you know, uh, What I Know Now, the Miss Argentina song. That came, that came between Washington, D.C. and Broadway. Oh. I wrote um, Barbara 2.0. It was the last song I wrote for Beetlejuice, and I wrote that when we were in tech. So we'd, we'd finished rehearsals. And I was like, this ballad that they've got is not right. And, you know, got this idea and wrote it and then made a demo. And then I had to kind of like quietly pitch it to everybody in the building. What do you think if they're saying this? And then, you know, we, when we got to that part of tech, which is act two, we, you know, we were like, hey, actors, you're not going to sing that song. You're going to hold the song. So that was kind of crazy. But um, that was a fun one to write because I was like, I know... I think I know what the what the song needs to do better now. Yeah. So that was super fun. And then there was like the other ones like Invisible, the Invisible, which is like a one minute song. When I wrote that, I was like, this is, you know, this is, um, what does it feel? What does it feel like to be a kid and to be sad? What's that like? Yeah. And that was a, that idea of being invisible was something that was so um, constant with Beetlejuice. You know, nobody sees me, I'm invisible. And I was like, well, how, how, how can Lydia relate to that? And the notion that it's just so, like, no one, no one knows what to do or say with a kid whose mum has died. And when you don't know what to say as a parent or as a grown-up, you kind of don't say anything. And then the, and then the kid ends up feeling, like, invisible. Like, not only have I lost my mum, everyone's just, like, ignoring me, you know? So that, yeah. was, a big, that was a big kind of emotional, um, uh, an emotional idea that we had to kind of get into the show. And so when that turned up, you're invisible when you're sad, I was like, cool. And then 
finding Beetlejuice's reprise of that later on. I was like, oh, what if Beetlejuice did that? You know, they're those little kind of like one discovery leads to another. Yeah. But it was a fun show to write. Like I really loved writing it. Like I never had to kind of like worry about sort of style or tone. I was like, I just felt, it felt like me from the beginning, which is really good. Yeah, no, that, that is really good. Uh, are there any songs in the show that you're like sick of hearing? Like you feel like if I hear that one more time, I'm going to like hit somebody. <laughs> I've heard a lot of versions of dead mom. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of covers versions of that. And I do, I do get on like YouTube and I um, listen to everybody's versions of the songs. Yeah. Because this has never, this has never happened to me. You know, it might never happen again. You know, people were wanting to sing my songs and I'm fascinated, not just, um, uh, about you know listening to the song again. In fact, it's kind of the least interesting part of it to me. It's like, who who is this person? You know, why do they connect with the song? Um, how how old are they? Where are that? Where are they from? Where are they right now? Like, are they in their bathroom? Are they in their? Are they at like a school concert? Um, you know, just to kind of get an in, you get an insight when somebody sings one of your songs as to what that song means to them and. I really, you know, I really appreciate anyone taking the time to sing it. So I watch it all the time. But then I'm, I'm like, I'm a little bit numb to dead mom now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being able to be here. This, is, this was awesome. I, like, it was great meeting you and stuff. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad and I'm so appreciative that you've got a um, whole show about Beetlejuice. So, to you and to all the people that help you make it, and all your listeners, I'm like internally grateful. It's awesome. Oh yeah, I so far I've only got one episode out. That doesn't have too many views, but I, it's it's not about that. It's about I'm I'm enjoying this, and it's 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 fun. It's fun thing right. to. It's oh, like right. getting, meeting like you, and like hopefully I can in the future like uh, do interviews with like some of the actors or like directors or stage managers or whatever, and like. Totally. Well, people have got a lot of time on their hands now, so, um, you know, it's probably a good time to ask. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Lovely to meet you, my man, and good luck with everything. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Uh, good luck in quarantine. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> See ya. Thank you. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Eddie Perfect. He was an awesome guy to get to know and to talk to. And the whole experience was just awesome with him. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And uh, I would like to have other big names like him uh, from Beetlejuice on here. But that can only happen if this, uh, if you guys like uh, subscribe to this, um, tell your friends about this, people who like Beetlejuice. Beetlecast is the podcast for them. It's everything. Beetlejuice, the musical, the musical, the musical. So I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you next time.